Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor, and I'm going to be your host today. Joining me for this very special episode, we have Drew Garrison. Drew, how you feeling? I am excited. I'm ecstatic, man. <laughs> Dude, this is probably the most excited I've been for an episode of Nerds Talk Movies in a long, long time. And that sounds like a shot at our own podcast. It's not. It's just how pumped I am to talk about Guardians 3, a franchise that just, I'll talk about it later. I just, I can't be fair because I'm way too biased. This is how Tristan feels about like Man of Steel. (laughs) So you saw the title, you know the deal. Today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Here's a synopsis for Guardians 3, courtesy of IMDB. Quote, still still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own, a mission that could mean the end of the Guardians if not successful. End quote. And here are some of the main cast for the film, along with director and writer credits. Again, this is coming from IMDb. It was directed and written by James Gunn. And Drew, since this is not on IMDb, I know you told me before we recorded that this is pretty complicated, but can you give me a simplified version of who created the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics? I know it's complicated because there's two versions. Yes, so there are two versions. Uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy came from the 30th century, now the 31st, since we have entered, you know, the 31st, I mean, the, uh, the, 20, the 21st century, not 31st century. We're not there yet. Who knows when we get there? Yeah, uh, but um, the first Guardians of the Galaxy were created by Arnold Drake and Gene Colan in 1968. The Guardians of the Galaxy that we know today appeared in Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord number one and uh or you could technically say that they got in guardians of the galaxy volume two but they first appeared in the annihilation conquest as just a squad and then came together for their initial inauguration in 2008 with the guardians of the galaxy volume two number one and they were created by dan abnett andy lanning and paul pelletier i hope i'm pronouncing that name right Moving on to our cast here, we have Chris Pratt as Peter Quill slash Star-Lord, Zoe Zaldana as Gamora, and if you don't know, listeners, Zoe Zaldana is probably the most successful actor in Hollywood because she has been part of four of the top ten highest grossing movies of all time, <laughs> and that is ridiculous. It really is. Um, but we have Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket Raccoon, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer, Finn Diesel voicing Groot, Karen Gillan as Nebula, Palm Clementif uh, as Mantis, I hope I pronounced that right, Sean Gunn as Kraglin, and Young Rocket, I think he also does the mocap work for Young, uh, not only Young Rocket, but uh, present day Rocket. Hmm. Maria Baklova as Cosmo the Very Good Dog. As the voice, of course. <laughs> Will Poulter as Adam Warlock. And finally, we have Chuck Woody Awuji as possibly one of the most heinous villains in the history of cinematic fiction, the High Evolutionary. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have no big prelude this week. Y'all know the deal. James Gunn got fired from this movie by Disney. Disney then hired him back. It's a whole thing. I don't feel like getting into it, and it's old news anyway. 
Gunn then pitched Guardians 3 as the end of an era for the current Guardians roster. Several actors expressed that Guardians 3 would indeed be their last go-round as their characters. The MCU, for a lot of people, is in a bit of a slump right now, with one of their main actors in a very serious controversy that is still up in the air as of this recording. So, no pressure for this movie to be good. I say with absolutely no sarcasm. The movie has been out for two weeks, I think, at the time of this recording, and so far it's been a massive success, doing quite well at the box office, and the general reception around the film seems to be a lot of, man, the MCU really needed a movie like this, and man, the DCU is in, in really good hands with James Gunn at the helm kind of talk. But what do we think? Is this a top-tier MCU movie? Do we think it's just fine? All I know is that I need to apologize up front because there is no way that I'll be able to be fair during this spoiler talk. I'm just too biased towards this franchise. So keep that in mind, everybody, when you hear my dumb takes. But before you hear my dumb takes, or Drew's dumb takes for that matter, let's talk comic connections. Drew, take it away. The floor is yours. Okay, so this one actually has a lot of comic connections. Ironically, though, I don't think most of them are Guardians comics connections. <laughs> so, uh, bear with me. But um, first off, we get Rocket Story, which is the most important because this is technically his movie. And that technically comes from Rocket... from Not Rocket, from, from The Incredible Hulk, number 271, which is where he's introduced and his storyline happens allowing allowing us to uh get to know our furry friend he acted very different in his first appearance too but that is his storyline is here in that issue so yeah incredible hulk for the first one for the second one we have event we have avengers number four from jonathan hickman's run now, this one is honestly interesting because basically the High Evolutionary has his uh, Children of the Sun, which are basically the children that the Guardians save during the movie. They're based on them, the Children of the Sun. And, uh, they, and it's basically the High Evolutionary trying to create the perfect being, which is pretty much his thing in the comics always. But um, the other one is, this also technically comes from Adam Warlock's first uh, solo series. And I think it's Adam Warlock number three, if I recall. But yeah, um, no wait, not Adam Warlock, just Warlock number three. It doesn't have the Adam in it. But yeah, Warlock number three, and it's where Adam basically is the champion of Counter-Earth. You know, the place the High Evolutionary blew up when he was disgusted in the people. Uh, but yeah, this that's where um, that's where most of the comic connections come in. Anything else is kind of sort of minor Easter egg stuff. But let's go ahead and get into our general thoughts. We were going to have Tristan on for this episode, but he asked me to deliver a message. Instead, he couldn't make it. He said to tell the people that the High Evolutionary is messing with his tonsils, but he did love this movie, and it did indeed make him cry. It is number eight on his MCU list, which is high praise. Very high praise. I don't know where I'm going to rank this movie, just because 
again, my bias towards it. And I just, I don't know if I'm ready to rank them yet. But this is going to be probably the Guardians movie I most remember. I think that's fair to say. But, Drew, before I get into my general thoughts, let's talk about your general thoughts. What do you think of this movie? It is fire. It is the goat. It is the two-piece combo with some biscuits. It is amazing. Like, oh my god. Taylor, I have to get go on just a small little tangent on just the MCU in general. When it when Endgame happened, I was like, okay, we're gonna get a few more movies, but it's going to end. We're closing out the stories. I was a bit bad when I found out that it was continuing, and I'm in what I like to call ending fatigue, where I'm just I'm over it. The MCU is not as special as it was when it was first coming out, or even when it was entering its middle ground. But holy hell, this Guardian 3 just, ooh, it really shows you why the Guardians are amazing. Why this ragtag group of misfits, thieves, and losers can work together to become the Found Family and the Guardians of the Galaxy, the one that everyone knows their name. I Can I jump it. in here real quick for Go a ahead, take? my friend. So... This movie, I think, shows that the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy is the best trilogy in the MCU. Bar none. I don't think it's... I don't want to say it. I don't think it's particularly close. I'm pretty high on the Spider-Man movies. I know a lot of people aren't. I'm pretty particularly high, especially on No Way Home. I love the Spider-Man movies and everything. Would have loved to see Peter's... uh journey unique journey in the mcu but i do have to say i am a huge fan of the captain america trilogy yeah i was gonna say captain america as well in terms of the trilogies we've gotten and don't get me wrong there's a lot of franchises that haven't gotten to the third one yet so who knows maybe another franchise can end up topping guardians but i feel like guardians is bar none the best franchise i don't think i don't think most of the uh trilogies in the mcu can make it that far the, I mean, mm-hmm. not like to, not like to say like uh, they can't make it to their third movies or everything because they're definitely gonna they'll be dragged kicking and screaming into them. But uh, I just feel like they're not gonna hit as much. Like I like the Black Panther movies, but I don't think all of them, all both of them combined, could hit the emotional weight that the guard that just Guardians two gives for me. Even Guardians one feels like it comes above both of them for me. And with the Iron Man movies, it's like Iron Man 1, classic, amazing. It started it all, and there's a reason for it. Iron Man 2, eh, it's got some problems, but it's still amazing. Iron Man 3, (laughs) we don't talk about Iron Man 3. But yeah, I feel like all of the uh, movies have some sort of sore spot. And then you look at Thor, and Thor, no matter where you land on the tone shift, it's just weird. Like, and the reason why I say that is because if you're somebody like Drew and Tristan who aren't huge fans of the Ragnarok and the Love and Thunder, I understand the Love and Thunder hate, don't get me wrong, but the Ragnarok tone shift, you're like, ah, man, that's where it falls off for me. But then on the other side of the coin, you're looking at the Dark World, like, sideways, going, what the hell happened here? Like, what are you doing? So, like, no matter where you are with Thor, I feel like that franchise is just... It's just weird. Yeah. But Guardians, 
all three movies, all three movies hit. They hit. They are above the weight class what you would picture them to be. The MCU would wouldn't be the same without them. And their and their stories just you will all you will be able to always go back to them and feel that emotional high you did when you first watch it. Hey man, I hear the thunder in the background. Mother Nature agrees with you. Oh yeah. Now getting into my general thoughts, this movie's a banger. This movie made me just tear up in the theater like a small child because this is just it, it hit in so many ways, particularly the rocket scenes. And then not only that, whenever Rocket's dying and he does die for a minute, I legitimately, knowing like, oh, I saw trailers, I've seen present day Rocket in more scenes than this, knowing that that doesn't really make any sense for Rocket not to have any agency in the story and then die, I still bought it. And I still was over here weeping in the theater (laughs) because I was like, no, I'm not ready for this character to die yet. Like, they pull the fake-outs with these deaths. They do it twice. Two per... No, they don't do it twice. They do it multiple times with nearly every Guardian. Star-Lord gets one. Drax gets one. Rocket gets one. All off the top of my head here. Those are the three. Hmm, I think Nebula gets one, too, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, the star. Nebula gets one, and you're, like, scared for her. I mean, dude, this movie is fantastic from start to finish. Every character feels like they matter into the story. And not only do they feel like they matter into the story, they just feel like they're part of a team. Like, this group of losers has came from just these five idiots in Guardians 1 to a whole planet, to a whole head of a celestial. Everybody in there just feels like they're somewhat Guardians adjacent. Like, Cosmo, Kraglin, they both fit into that team, too. They both had some great lines and moments. I wish we got a little more Cosmo. I thought she was fantastic in this movie. I love the bit with the good dog, or the bad dog, where everybody was just pissed off at Kraglin. Like, why won't you just say it? And he just wouldn't let <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Kraglin, because I did not think he would hold... For that long and everything, I thought, oh, he's gonna say it. Then the dog is gonna, then the dog is gonna do something smug, and then he's not gonna say it. But besides the point, I think the main takeaway I have from this movie is that it kind of flips the whole Guardians thing on its head to me. Because the first two films, like the first movie, is a fun movie with some emotional moments, but there's a lot of comedy. The second movie, yeah, it has the family stuff going on, which I think is very well done. I'm very glad it seems like people are turning around on Guardians 2. It's about time, because Guardians 2 is amazing. It is amazing. But I think the comedy, I think that's what probably kept a lot, it was the hiccup for a lot of people, because not a lot of it hit for a lot of people. So... I'm glad that that's getting its love now. It's getting its flowers. But it's kind of the same as Guardians 1. A lot of jokes, but there's some serious moments there. Guardians 3 is a pretty fucking serious movie. (laughs) Yeah. With some jokes in there. It's kind of just flips that format on its head to me. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes here. But man, there's some dark stuff. (laughs) When I saw that they were doing Rocket's origin story, I knew. I knew what was going to happen, and I still couldn't help myself but get attached to 
his animal friends, to his companions. And like, ugh. Why? <laughs> why did you do this, James? It's like, well, I know why, but it's like, why did you get me attached? But let's talk about standout performances here, because... I know probably the most obvious pick is Bradley Cooper as Rocket. And Chris Pratt. I was That's who I was going to say, because Chris Pratt, this might be his best performance. I'm not even saying as a Star-Lord. I'm saying as an actor. Same. Because, star, look, Chris Pratt is not a bad actor. We've been on record on Earthside Movie. Chris Pratt's not a bad actor. The problem is, is he's the lead in a lot of stuff. And it's... It's quite overbearing. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. To whereas now is just this overexposure to where you're like, man, if he can just calm the fuck down on these leading roles. And you get a performance like this, and you're like, okay, there you go, Chris Pratt. This is what people loved you for with Parks and Rec in Guardians 1 and the first Jurassic World. More of this and less of like, what was that, The Passengers? Uh, Yeah. Or the terminal list, which I thought he was very miscast for. <laughs> but for you, who are your standouts? Like I said, Chris Pratt being Star-Lord. It's like, oh my god. And this is probably my favorite uh, my favorite uh, movie for Star-Lord in general. But I also want to give uh, a shout-out to Zoe, Zoe Saldana. Because... She fucking crushed it. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, it's like, you letting, letting us feel that this is a different Gamora while also getting us uh, with some of the her familiarities. I was loving it. Dude, she's such a dick in this movie to where I was like, can we, can we drop Gamora from this movie? Like, <laughs> they're trying to just get into this facility, and she just pulls a gun on people and starts like, threatening their lives. I'm like... Where did you come from? This is not the Gamora I remember. And it's fantastic because a lot of times when they go like, this is not the same Gamora, but it'll still be basically the same personality and the same everything, but no memories. And Zoe Zaldana pulled this off to where, like, no, this is 2014 Gamora where she was kind of still with Thanos and she was still very hardened. Honestly, I like the fact that for a point, she gets a little raw with how well... Uh, Quill knows Quill knows her, and it's it's real. It is like it is kind of good that they show how jarring that is that someone knows you so well, but you don't know them. Yeah, and what I love too is how much this ties into the holiday special. Whereas it's oh, not yeah. necessary viewing, but it's pretty cool to like watch that special and then watch Guardians Three and be like, oh man, so I feel rewarded for having watched this. Yeah, same. As for other performances, Karen Gillan as Nebula, this is probably my favorite performance from her. Is like everybody, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Everybody on the Guardians roster does a great job. Like everybody came into this knowing this is gonna be the last time we're probably gonna be doing a movie together like this. Let's put out our A performances. A plus yeah. level. And they fucking did. Everybody does a great job. Dave Batista, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, and I know I said Vin Diesel, who just says I am Groot. Like he does a good job too. <laughs> no 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 no. He he has more lines than that. I know, because he has that one line <laughs> at the end. We'll talk about it. But Rocket Raccoon, Bradley Cooper, just fantastic. Karen Gillen as Nebula. Nebula's become one of my favorite characters in the MCU, and this movie continued that. 
I love the relationship she has with Peter in this movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas they feel close without it really feeling romantic. I know they joked with it in this movie, but it didn't feel like they were ever going to follow through. <laughs> it just felt like she looked at Peter like this was basically my sister's guy. Like this, I, I feel there's this that connection there that they were family. Through yeah, that. you you could feel that they were becoming siblings as well. Yeah, and you could just. Also had this feeling at the beginning of the movie with Star Lord going through what he's going through of everybody just going, We gotta we gotta help him somehow. I don't know how, but everybody kinda feels in this place of like I don't know how to really describe it. It's like they're in stasis. Yeah. Any other standout perform oh, we I forgot one. Did you forget about the high evolutionary? I get we don't I like forgot him. about this piece of shit right here Uh, now have you seen peacemaker yes now this actor i want to get his name right here so give me one second as you delete that from (laughs) i did not mean i did not i did not mean to i was just trying to uh find the pronunciation chuck woody awuji in peacemaker plays a very serious but likable character He's really good at this whole acting thing because I hated this man's guts the entire movie. Like I wanted him to die in the most vicious way possible this entire movie. Like you know, here's the thing. We'll talk about the high evolutionary later. But I get I'm getting really sick and tired of in Hollywood everybody's got to have a redemption story. All villains have to have this redeemable trait. Oh, they all have to have a very sad backstory to where, you know, something happened to them and that's what made them the way that they are. And I'm just, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of villains not being able to be villains. And this movie, <laughs> it just let this guy be a villain. And I loved it. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't have a redeemable villain. I'm not saying that you can't have a villain with a tragic backstory. That's completely understandable. But it's just, it's too prevalent. And for just a character like this to come along, it feels so refreshing. He crushed it. And oh my god. The fact that I could look at him and not remember Peacemaker at all during the movie. And I think honestly, he does so good he does he does so good of a job. I'm worried he's gonna be typecast. <laughs> Cause this was too good. He is such a fucking dick. That when it's revealed that he put on his own, uh, he created his own face to make a mask after Rocket scratched out his face. I was like, you still look too pretty. As for Adam Warlock, Will Poulter here, we're going to talk about his characterization because there's, I think this is where the movie both, like, I understand it, but also, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it. It's not Will Poulter's fault. I think he does a good job. Yeah, he does a great job with what he's supposed to. And I like the potential. I don't know how you felt about it, but I like the potential if they make Adam Warlock a thing, like he's going to have a massive role going forward. I like the potential of him becoming what I would envision Adam Warlock's personality to be, which I I just know from the Guardians game, this pretentious motherfucker. Yeah, That's what I was waiting for. Yeah, the pretentiousness is technically a part of his original character, sort of. But it is very different. It's kind of like with my whole Thanos argument. It's like, yeah, Thanos is a dick, but he's not like 
this total dick. It's like he's a, it's like he's nuanced and everything. Adam is heavily integral to the Thanos storylines and everything. So, of course, I know him well. <laughs> and uh, he is pompous, but he is pompous in a humble way. It's like, dude will, dude will tell you straight out, look, you're not going to win this. Please don't do this. And nobody will listen to him, and he has to flex on them. That is Adam Warlock's pompousness. It's like he's he's pompous in a humble way. Now, he can, like, a bit, bit be too egotistical, underestimate his opponents and whatever. And that was something I liked in the first, where, in the first part of the movie, where it's like, he's really underestimating the Guardians, believing that they're down and everything, and Nebula gets stabbed in the back because of it. But uh, this is a very much more childish Adam Warlock, and Adam was never that way. It's like he's very much a philosophical style character. Actually, I just now realized I don't have a topic here for Adam Warlock, so we can get right into that now. I kind of agree, but the reason I'm on board for what they do in this movie is I'm working under the assumption that Adam Warlock is going to be a bigger deal in the MCU going forward. That he's going to be a part of the Guardians and he'll kind of... I don't... My brother, after we get out of theater, he's like, ah, I think he'll be the new Drax. And I'm like, I fucking hope not. Because that's what they were kind of going for in this movie. Which is fine for his first outing. Because to me, this felt like an Adam Warlock who was, quote-unquote, literally born yesterday. So I kind of got the childlike characteristics of him, you know? But I want to see him yeah. grow into this more, like, sophisticated character that you kind of, like, love, but at the same time, you just want somebody to punch him in the mouth. I can, I can understand that. Like, definitely Adam in the comics had those moments, especially when, uh, like, he literally tries to sneak around the Avengers because he's like, oh, they don't trust me because I actually did some shady some some shady shady before and everything like in the original infinity gauntlet storyline adam was the one to end up with the gauntlet and he never told anyone his plan and used some of the heroes as sacrifices it was necessary it was also a dick move (laughs) but yeah adam it was like adam is that character who you want to punch in the face sometimes and everything but the whole point is that he's technically supposed to be like he sees things at such a high plane because like, no kidding, he is literally Space Jesus. I'm not kidding, like, he literally died to save Counter-Earth while tied to a cross-like object. Well, in terms of this movie, though, I d- even with everything I said, like, I don't mind the characterization, as long as the character becomes a bigger deal and grows going forward. But I do have a problem with Adam Warlock feeling tacked on. He I think does. one of my very few problems with the movie is Adam Warlock feels like a hired gun that is unnecessary. He yeah. doesn't feel like a Terminator who can't be beat, other than the intro. The intro is phenomenal. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie, where he's just killing the Guardians. <laughs> In Rocket's case, almost literally. But then post that, he's over here talking with his mom, and he has this pet. When he just You're seeing the character grow a bit. And then at the end of the movie, he just, oh, I guess I'm a good guy now. When I feel like you could have done a little something with that. Yeah. Because the movie was setting that up, I thought. Especially with the mother dying. I thought it was going to be a thing where he realized, like, hey, you know what? I can't trust this high evolutionary guy. 
these people, I need to help them take the high evolutionary out or the rest of my people are going to be in danger. But instead, he doesn't even do that. He goes after him again. And then it's only after they save his life that he changes. It, yeah. it kind of just feels like he was not a, as big of a deal as his power set set him up to be at the end of the movie. Yeah. I also need to say they need some different effects because he looks way too similar to Captain Marvel's effects. Eh, I didn't really notice that, but that might, if I saw the movie a second time in theaters, I might be able to focus in on that and see if I agree or disagree. I just never noticed it. Yeah, they just need, they just need to change like maybe the color or design of it because it looks almost identical. Like his lasers and stuff look almost identical to Carol's and stuff. And I get it. There's a, we have a ton of characters who can fly and shoot lasers out of their hands and foreheads and eyes and okay, a lot of stuff. But the whole thing is like you, you change up the color and stuff to give some variety and unique flair look. Well, speaking of Adam Warlock's visuals, what did you think about the visuals and the soundtrack of this movie? For me, I thought it was top tier Marvel across the board. You could tell like they were allowed to have time to uh, perk up the effects because I don't think there is a bad shot in this entire movie. Like, ooh, the it, lo- it looks good. Nowhere feels like a real place you can live in. And the soundtrack is great. Dude, in part two, like, whenever they're starting out the intro for that movie, has Rocket messing with the radio. He's like, we gotta fix the radio for Quill's stupid music. And fast forward to this movie, they all have that love of music, too. Mm-hmm. And you hear Rocket, or you see Rocket listening to music as he's going along at the beginning of the movie. He's playing music through nowhere. Like, everybody has that love of music. They're listening to it on comms while they're doing stuff. And that's one of my favorite parts of this movie that's not even really focused on. It's just, they, it's like James Gunn just put this in here and went, I trust the audience. Yeah. They kind of put two and two together. Yeah, I also like how it's subtly used as well, because Rocket is listening to the music, he has a sad face on it before, and you could, and it's like, as you go to Quill, you realize, oh, it's because the music reminds him of Quill and how he used to be. It's like, he's sad, his friend is sad. It's like, that's a really good way of showing Rocket's emotions, since he tries to hide them a lot. Yeah, it's interesting, too, and this goes into the character arcs here for Rocket and Peter, if you want to go ahead and talk about that. Oh, yeah. That they kind of feel flipped compared to the second movie. Whereas the second movie, it was a lot of Rocket being the asshole, and Peter's just like, what the hell's wrong with you? And in this movie, you don't have a lot of Rocket in present day, but at the beginning of it, he is kind of just looking at Peter like, come on, dude, Like, you're supposed to be the leader. You just came back. You're sulking all the time. Because Rocket's the only one of the Guardians who... Didn't like, get snapped. Yeah, who survived the whole thing. So you gotta imagine, he's just a little fucking tired yeah. <laughs> of it all. And then he comes back and he's having to lead the Guardians because Peter can't do it. And Nebula's doing what she can, but... I, I don't know. I just I really loved how it's flipped here. For Rocket, it's about him facing his past. And for Peter, it's a three-movie arc of him learning to let go. It really is amazing. And I also love how it's like, Rocket and Peter, it's like, these are the, these are the bros that will go to hell for each other. Because before, cause you would never expect that at the start of Guardians 2 and everything. Their character development has been so well done. 
that I believe that if they could, if if one of them died, you could literally go to hell and bring them back. It's like they would go guns blazing for the other. It's like I feel like that's that is their connection now. It's like all the guardians have that feeling and everything. Like I feel like they would do that for all of them, but for Peter and but for Peter and uh Rocket especially, it's like they're constantly saying, "Hey, I'm not letting my best friend die. We got to find a way of helping my best friend." It's like they are very open about their relationship now, which before they would never admit. Which Drax hates. Uh, that was a good running gag the whole time. <laughs> Second best friend. Like, uh, like honestly, I love the fact that Drax is just jealous that uh, someone has a closer connection with Peter. Because he, because it's like, I love, like, he's gotten close to Peter as well. Because he's starting to enjoy Peter's antics. And him dancing at the end of this movie feels like a culmination of that, too. That's like, an earned moment. Like, yeah. this, whole, it, this whole movie, by the end of it. You get a lot of earned moments. You have Nebula over here with the kids and learning, like, it's kind of like her whole hero journey, too. To where she's a villain in part one, she turns in part two, all the stuff in Infinity War and Endgame, and then she finally, like, takes over nowhere and she's leading nowhere at the end yeah. of the movie. It, it feels right. It feels like this is where the character should have went by the end of it. Same thing with Drax, like, they set it up with basically telling Drax they're making fun of him throughout the movie like you're an idiot, like you're useless, and then at the end of the movie, Nebulus go, you're not useless. You're very integral to why we succeeded out there. We, I need your help. You're a dad. And, and I thought that was a great ending for Drax, too. I was crying when she said, you're not a destroyer, you're a dad. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. And also another very underrated moment here, and this goes into the whole Rocket story. Whenever Rocket wakes up and uh, Rocket's talking over the comms, everybody stops. You just let everybody, you're seeing their reactions. And Nebula's reaction there is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, all of them have such close connections. It's like this found family really does love each other through and through. Who you want to talk about first, though? Peter's rocket uh let's talk about peter because when i talk about rocket i'm going to go deep like i said for peter it's a thing of letting go that he wasn't he has never really been able to do that with his mom dying and then the stuff with his dad and yondu and now he has this situation with rocket to where his best friend might die yeah and he refuses to accept it and, and it's also just like thing. with uh, Gamora and everything. And it's like Yeah, same thing with Gamora. And then it's also a thing where he's refusing also to face his family on Earth, too. He doesn't want to go back. He's closed that door. And I just love that journey because it doesn't feel at all like... It just feels positive. It feels healthy for the character. Everything that he goes through. Yeah, and I also love that Mantis is also... A part of it, like they like they talk about being siblings and everything, uh, and like you said, if you watch the holiday special, it kind of builds off of that too. Uh, but I love, but I love that Mantis is the one who's like confronting Peter about, oh, you never went to go see them and everything, and you never went to like confirm whether or not your grandpa is actually dead, or whether or not like you could like see him again. It's like he was hurting too. And he lost his grandson the same day he lost his daughter. It's like, ah, jeez. 
<laughs> it's like that was something I didn't even think about except for like when I first watched Guardians 2 and it was really good to to see that and to feel that come out and allow it to affect Peter as well. And I think the reason why Mantis is that person is because she's the only one on the team who I don't want to say feels comfortable enough, but feels like she has the weight to carry that like Hey, I need to stand up to Peter about this because he needs to hear it. Nobody else is going to say it because they're siblings. And yeah. you had that whole thing in the holiday special, which is fantastic. So I love that dynamic there to where it wasn't like the main focus of the movie, but it's something that I'm glad was addressed. And it does feel like every character has relationships with each other in different ways. It's not just, oh, we're all part of this found family and we all love each other and that's it. No, everybody has different dynamics. Yeah. And it feels not only earned, it feels well, well written and well performed by the actors. I also feel like Mantis is the one who can be able who can be able to say it because she also like her only father was well ego and like she is like she was never really wanted she was just necessary and everything and for Mantis to hear oh wait you have a family out there that wants you Peter very it's like she understands that and she understands what's blocking him and everything being an empath also helps too. Yeah. And with the Gamora aspect of it and the rocket aspect of it, I love how it's two different, like it's the same like story basically of letting go. But with rocket, of course you're not going to do that. You shouldn't do that. You should try to save your friend in that scenario. But with yeah. Gamora, that's something that you should. And that's the thing he refuses to do. Yeah. So it's him finally learning at the end of the movie, like, Hey, we saved Rocket. Awesome. But I need to move on. Yeah. And I do like how they both move on and everything. And you can tell Gamora... I feel like at the end of the movie, if, if like, Peter had asked Gamora to, like, fully stay, like, pulled his heart out, she might have said yes, because she was seemingly recognizing the connection. But Peter has evolved enough to let her go and let her live her life, this new life that she's built for herself. And I love that so much because it just because it does prove it does prove the character arc and how they have moved on and everything. And I also feel like, hey, if it ever is brought up in the future, they'll have a different connection, but it'll still be Peter and Gamora. Knowing that with Gamora specifically, I feel like we're not going to be able to talk about Gamora's ending <laughs> for the rest of the show. So for Gamora's ending specifically, I really like it because. Like everybody else in this movie, Gamora lives, but it feels mm -hmm. like her story is over. Yeah, she found her family with the Ravagers. It's yeah. honestly kind of poetic that the place that Peter couldn't find his family, his lost love finds her family. Well, my point being, though, Drew, is her story feels over. Yeah. It feels like we closed the book on it, and that's fine. Not everybody has to have open-ended appearing in sequels and Avengers movies. It felt like this new version of Gamora got a second chance at life. It's not going to be the same as the last one, and we're not going to see it. And that's completely fine, because we got what we got, and what we got was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And that's what a lot of these characters feel like in this movie. Towards Drax, I'm not sure we're ever going to see Drax again. Doubt it. Dave Batista says he's done. Yeah, and I'm completely okay if we never see Drax again. 
Yeah. I'm completely fine if we never see Nebula again. The only character I think we are seeing again in the future is going to be because, you know, it was said on screen or shown on screen, Star Lord. And I think we will see Groot and Rocket again. And Adam Warlock. Yeah, and Adam Warlock, yeah. I would love to see them come back. Phyla is also going to be important because she's very important. I was very surprised that they included Phyla because she's supposed to be the daughter of the original Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a bit of a change but hey Philo's not that really if i'm gonna be honest Philo's not that great of a character and they kept trying to give her something to make her special hey mcu either hits or misses with these things so let's see what they do with it let's see what they do with it i wonder if her girlfriend moon dragon's gonna appear but this movie is not star lords it's not gamora's it's this rockets movie is rockets now i don't know how i feel about james gunn coming out and being like you know, the whole trilogy's been about Rocket, which I do disagree with. I know what you're doing. You're siphoning up this movie, and now the franchise is about Rocket, which is awesome. But the whole franchise, to that point, has been about Peter. <laughs> He's been the main character. <laughs> like, the whole, like, okay, so Peter's the main character, but the whole franchise has been about its namesake, the Guardians, because all of them, in every movie, have something that they have to, get, have to uh, evolve from. So Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, but this is Rocket's movie, 100%. He's the new main character. Yeah, as it should be with what they did with this movie. What they did with Rocket Man was so fucking sad. <laughs> I saw was, it coming. I, the sad part is, is I tried to prepare. I was like, man, we're going to lose Rocket. It's going to be just such a heartbreaking story. You've seen the trailers. You saw the little cute kid raccoon. And you're like, oh my God, we're going to see some dark and heinous shit, are we? Aren't we? And we do. And it sucks. And it's not like you see a lot of it, but it's all implied. And the stuff you do see, it's enough. It's like you don't have to see the physical, like, the experiments to know what happened. Because you Mm -hmm. have a moment, like, the beginning of the movie where Rocket just, like, got into the cage and Lila's trying to comfort him and say, you can speak, You you can talk to us. And the first words out of Rocket's mouth is hurts. Mm-hmm. Everything with the four experiments, Batch 89, is 10 out of 10. They have less than 10 minutes of screen time, I'm pretty confident in saying. I cared more about them than some MCU characters that they have given TV shows about. Same, but I also love how, you know how like um a lot of series like to just give an origin story to everything about a character to the point where it's like okay was there anything that was natural to this character i am so glad that they never explain rocket's kleptomania impulses and everything but also give us a reason why rocket seemingly is obsessed with body parts but not only is it like a sad backstory and it's this very tragic origin story for rocket but something I love about it is the High Evolutionary hates Rocket because he created the one thing that's smarter and better than him, and he doesn't understand it. There's something about that dynamic that just really it gels with me. It's fantastic. Yeah. Everything with the High Evolutionary, I think it's also a 10 out of 10 with this movie. Yeah. I also love the imagery we get 
with uh, a lot of his introductions, it's like a lot of it is supposed to cycle towards his personality. Like when you see the little girl running on that, not a hamster wheel, but sort of futuristic hamster wheel, she's upside down and stuff. And it's like he, it's like the gears in his head spinning on trying to figure out, okay, how did Rocket, su- how did Rocket survive this long? How did, um, how is he able to think so well? How is he, um different from all the other batches what is going on and then it's like in his other introduction when you see him just typing away and doing stuff it shows how his disinterest in other people in general it's like every time he's introduced one part of his personality is on display the most in just an image and it's great yeah what are your thoughts on Rocket's story overall though other than saying it's great, because... <laughs> I want to hold the rabbit and bring him to Valhalla, where he can drink mead and and uh, fight for the rest of his days in glorious combat. Ugh. When he turns and sees his friends dead, that's where it just... I wasn't, like, tearing up at that part. It was just where my heart just, like, dropped, and I was like, fuck. That's... I didn't think they were going to die right there. I thought it was going to be a thing where they were going to escape, and then they get killed. Nope, they because died. I wasn't, I was not expecting those three to die where they did. I thought we would see Lila in present day. I really did. I kind of knew we weren't going to see Lila. Re- reason being is that in is that Lila was like she's in the comics, but most of the time she's just like Rocket's old flame that he isn't really in a he isn't really connected to anymore. See, but that's the reason why, because sometimes James Gunn takes something from a comic and is like, okay, I'm going to take this character from the comics and I'm going to make them a massive deal in the movie. And yeah. I thought that's what they were going to do with Lila. And instead, they're, James Gunn went, I'm going to make these three characters just so lovable in Rocket's backstory. I'm going to make them as cute as possible, including young little Rocket here, and just make it so sad. And I'm going to kill them off at the last minute where you think, oh, maybe they escape or maybe somehow they all survived this. Yeah. I kind of knew she was dying because when she got her revamp in the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale game, that's her story. She died. So I knew she was going to die, but I was also like, oh, this is going to be like the Telltale game where it's like, oh, like he's he, they're about to leave. They're about to get out and the high evolutionary kills batch 89 i did not expect the shooting another thing i love is this explains rocket's fascination with invention yeah and that's yet again going back to what i was saying that's the one thing that the high evolutionary doesn't have over rocket at all he just he can't understand how this raccoon is smarter than him and it just eats him up inside talking about more of Rocket's story here do you have anything else to add uh, we both agree. It's one of the best parts of the movie. It's his movie. It's so heartbreaking, and I love how Rocket has this moment of finally being, like Peter, is able to move on. He's yeah. getting some closure for this. I do like the fact he goes back for the other um, raccoons. I don't believe the High Evolutionary would have kept them, but at the same time, I'm glad Rocket was able to go back and save them. And he and the accepts other that he's a raccoon. Yep. Finally. He gets the name Rocket Raccoon. It took three movies, but he is officially Rocket <laughs> Raccoon. Oh, uh, finally. 
Another thing I love too is that all the guardians are a hundred percent on board with mm-hmm. this story. It's not something that's like, and I'm saying this post saving rocket, post saving rocket. They're all a hundred percent on board with all right. This high evolutionary guy, we gotta kill him. And I love how Star Lord the whole time is like, we can't kill anybody. And then he meets this guy, and he's like, you know what? You guys go ahead. And he even tells Groot, it's like, okay, kill them all. Yep, it, it feels like an earned moment there. But what I love is all the Guardians post-saving Rocket. There's no hesitation. There's no, like, this isn't our job. This isn't our fight. There's no bullshit. This is, hey, this guy fucked up our friend. We're going to fuck him up. I love it. It reminds me of the ending of Guardians 2, where Peter just starts shooting his dad. Like, the talking is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. The actions speak louder than the words that they'd be saying. So I love how James Gunn just let the characters speak for themselves. All right. So we've talked about Rocket, talked about Peter. Let's talk about some of the other side characters, my man, because I want to talk about Mantis and Drax's uh, buddy cop relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it continues from the holiday special, and I love it. Uh, before we talk about that, I think we can get a little bit out of Craglin and... Cosmo because they didn't have that huge of roles. Okay. We kind of talked about it earlier. We loved the moment with the good dog stuff. Cosmo mm-hmm. was great in this movie. I hope she becomes a bigger part of the Guardians going forward. Craglin, I love the moment he gets with seeing Yondu and finally like, oh yeah, the you control the whistle with your heart, not your mind. Great moment for him. They're really good side characters. Agree. Fully agree, and uh, if Cosmo gets any of the uh, feats that she does in the comics, oh, we're going to have some fun with Cosmo. But talking about Mantis and Drax now. Oh, yeah, the goofballs. <laughs> That's what I call them. These two are hilarious. Like, this is probably, in terms of content, not the performance. I think everybody here put out their best performance. In terms of the content, this might be the worst of Drax. Just because they really... I know Drax is a bit overdone. Because they lean too much into the comedy dumbness. But it felt like he didn't have as many awesome jokes. Because of that. Yeah. I also feel like... we. I get like Thanos is not around anymore. So he doesn't have that... So he doesn't have the whole revenge thing. He just feels like he's there, right? Yeah. It felt like his purpose is done. I, like, I kind of get where you're going there. It kind of feels like Drax's purpose is done. So it's great that we got this final movie to where is yeah, he didn't have a huge role. Groot kind of feels similar to me. Groot didn't have, like, a Thanos, like, vengeance quest going on. But Groot was just there. He was the yeah. sidekick. I saw a spoiler talk from, I think it was Christian Harloff. Was it Christian Harloff or the real rejects? One of the two. Uh, but they were talking about, like, Groot's the Chewbacca to Chris Pratt's or Star-Lord's Han Solo. I was like, that's exactly what the dynamic is in this movie. Yeah. Groot's just there. He's the wingman. And that's what he should have been. He's there to support Rocket and Star-Lord. Awesome. So yeah. those three, I think, are support characters in a very good way. Yeah. I also like the fact that Star-Lord keeps checking on him just subtly. And it's like, okay, yeah, he can stand with you, but he's still your kid. Yeah, yeah, I do like that, too, because all the Guardians are kind of like the parents of this new group, who's yeah. the original group's son. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and I do love all of the cool abilities that 
um, group gets to be able to do. It's like, oh, it's like, you think, like, we're gonna just stop at plant-based powers? No, we're gonna let him arm himself with all the guns. We're gonna let him become a, become a glider. We're gonna let him, uh, we're gonna let him, uh, do the, do the vine, uh, grabby stuff. Like his uh, dad did. It's like, honestly, Groot has a lot of awesome moments in this. I just love their dynamic. It's it's honestly great. And Han Solo with Chewbacca is the perfect way to say it. Just add a tinge of father-son dynamic. Yeah, I didn't get that vibe as much. But I get what you mean because the whole Guardians team was around for raising this new group. And you see that in Guardians too. Uh... Yeah, Mantis, we didn't really get to talk about her too much other than, well, we actually did, so I'm not going to really say anything else there. Mantis is great in this movie. Drax is great in this movie. I do think out of the three side guardians, he's the one with the least to do, and he's the one who gets shitted on the most. Understandable, because I do think Batista knew it. I think James Gunn knew it. That they kind of went a little overboard with Drax. They went, oh, it worked in Guardians 1. We went a little overboard. Let's scale it back. And let's have a little bit of poking fun at what this character is with a very heartwarming ending for him. And we don't really have to see him again. Unless Batista ever decides to come back, which the door's open for. That Disney money. Brilliant way to end the character. And again, here's the thing. They end all these characters without killing them off. That's really hard to do yeah or you don't feel like you're cheated out of a good story and you feel like all all these characters are moving on yeah any other i don't think we have any other side characters that we didn't talk about nebula we didn't talk about yeah. nebula really yeah i was about to say did we forget about nebula she's got her cool destroyer arm man oh dude nebula's freaking awesome in this movie i love really every scene that she's in especially two moments we'll talk about the hallway fight because um, there's something that happens with her in the hallway fight, which is just epic. And two, what I already mentioned earlier with Rocket, her reaction to Rocket being alive. It, that is, to me, the culmination of her entire character. Yeah. But my one of my favorite moments, because I know what you mean with the hallway fight, but I also want to talk about her confronting Gamora. And when she sticks up for Quill... And says, like, what is like, and Gamora says, like, we're family, and she's like, he's family too, and you used to love him. It's like, damn, I that love really him. Uh, there's so many good moments that they don't need to fully linger on, but just hit in that moment just right to where you want to go back and just see him again. But moving on to that hallway fight that I was mentioning earlier, oh man. That that might be one of my favorite action sequences in the MCU. That's not an Avengers sequence. It's so good. Now, have you seen the Mario movie? Yes. The same I have. song. <laughs> Damn Beastie Boys <laughs> is following <laughs> Chris Pratt around this year. I'll tell you that. But I will say, I think I liked it better in this movie than the Mario Brothers movie. This is not a Mario Brothers spoiler talk. Love the Mario movie. It was great. Yeah. The only complaint I really would have about it is probably a lack of plot, and I do think they tried too hard with the soundtrack. Not the case here. Everything fit perfectly in Guardians 3. Yeah, it was pretty great. great. Uh, I also love that besides Gamora, who makes sense that it's not her, but besides Gamora, 
all of the Guardians have a moment where they do team assists to either back each other up or save themselves or save another from a tough spot. Even Drax. It, it it's just awesome. It's just how do you show how far the Guardians have come without ever saying a word? It also shows competence too, because the thing is is they're bickering the whole time. Throughout the whole movie, you had that moment. One of the funniest moments in the movie to me is whenever Peter and Gamora are having a, I don't want to say a moment, but Peter's trying to appeal to Gamora when they're getting into that facility with Nathan Fillion, who's like the lead (laughs) guard. And he's giving this very heartfelt and personal story. And Mantis or Nebula is like, you know, everybody can hear you, right? (laughs) And they're going through like what the buttons do. And then they realize, no, everybody, including the Ravagers, can hear you. Damn. <laughs> that is that is very that is not intuitive button design. I don't care what Drax says; it's not intuitive. I know, it's, but what what I mean by going all the way back to that moment is it shows like, oh, what this is a group of fucking losers. What are we doing? And then you have this hallway fight, and then you go, oh no, when it matters. These these guys are very competent at what they do. They are the guardians of the galaxy for a reason. Yep. And the part I was mentioning with Nebula is whenever she gets her neck literally snapped back, she just starts like a Terminator, killing everything <laughs> in sight. Awesome. Oh, it's like I it's like I honestly cannot understand how Gamora beat her with all those enhancements. It's like Gamora, how, how. She hey, does a really stop. good fighter. And the only reason she really loses fights or she's not as good as a fighter as her present day self that died is the lack of experience for the Guardians. Yeah. So that's what gets her into hot water in this movie. But man, that hallway fight was just. It felt also like everything else in this movie. It felt like, oh, okay, we're really wrapping up here. This feels like an ending to something. Like this, the reason I think I love this movie so much is it doesn't even feel like an MCU movie. Yeah, it really felt like James Gunn wrote this, and everybody came into work going, "We don't care about the MCU. We don't care about whatever you're doing with the multiverse saga. We are ending our characters how we want to end our characters. We are telling a story that we want to tell." Yeah, I also think like because they did fire and then rehire James Gunn, he probably said, "I'll only come back if you just let me have control. I don't want you guys breathing down my necks. I don't want to tie this in to the next Avengers two point uh, Avengers four point five Kang Kang uh, strikes back whatever. I want my movie. I want my ending, and he got it. What you think about the ending though? I think this hit more than if one of them died. Yes. Dude, it's crazy to say that. I know that sounds like we're just Marvel shills by this going, oh man, this is better than what would happen if they died. It is, though. Because I think it's the easy thing to do. And that's not a bad thing to say. If you killed off Rocket, would have been completely fine. Would have came on this podcast, went like, oh man, I'm so emotional, so sad. But it's another thing entirely to have all these characters live and to have all of them move on and do their own thing and it feel completely earned and justified. And at the end of the day, you're leaving the theater and you're going, I'm very satisfied with that. I'd be happy with never seeing 
another Guardians movie again because I love the trilogy we got. Yeah. It honestly is like a perfect ending, allowing them all to go their separate ways. You get to see their final dance where it's like all their character development is shown off in just literally one scene where they're saying goodbye and dancing the night away. And you just have tears in your eyes because this is the end. We will not see these characters again. Well, except for maybe Star-Lord, Groot, and Rocket. but And Adam Warlock. And, and Adam Warlock. Here's the thing, though. We're kind of going too far. We're fast-forwarding through some stuff here because Rocket doesn't kill the High Evolutionary. He Which, if I have to nitpick, I don't know how I feel about that, because maybe you shouldn't, you know, kill the High Evolutionary in cold blood, sure, but for Rocket to be like, yeah, I'm not gonna kill him, because I'm a freaking Guardian of the Galaxy. Yeah, but you guys just killed so many people. <laughs> <laughs> you killed all these uh, experiments, Rocket, and everything, and it's like, yeah, I know they're loyal to, like, their butcher and everything, but still, come on, Rocket. And you left them to die. His, like you still killed him, like basically, by not saving him. But I don't know. Like that was a nitpick, and another nitpick I have. Again, I don't really have a problem with Adam Warlock's characterization necessarily, as long as the character does something in the future. If this is the last we really see of Adam Warlock, and it doesn't work out. Kind of have a problem with it. But as for what we got in this movie, I thought it was fine. I don't know if I felt like his moment of saving Peter was earned. That might be the only moment throughout the entire movie I felt like I could use something there. Or he needed a moment of realizing of us seeing like other than the why did you save us? Because everybody deserves a second chance. That was the only thing we got of Adam Warlock realizing like these guys aren't that bad. I think you needed one more thing there. Yeah. Before getting that moment. And it would have been 100% awesome. Instead, it felt like, oh, that's cool. I don't know also how I feel about Peter not having his rocket boots. and his Oh, yeah, that boot. was the other nitpick I've been trying to say. He left, I assume he just left it back at nowhere, which I guess is fine, but I don't know. It just makes Star-Lord kind of seem like an idiot for not bringing the two things key to his survival in space. Yeah, that's the only that's the thing that gets me. It's like he, his rocket boots and his helmet, his iconic helmet, both gone. We talked about all the guardians moving on to their own thing and let's talk about our post-credit scenes here. What you think about these? Okay, so I I love the fact that we get to see like the guardians with their new roster and everything and they're all discussing music again showing how peter's love of music has helped the guardians evolve and like come to better places with themselves and everyone has their own unique tastes as well that's cool i will say i'm not a fan of giant hulk drax i not drax giant hulk group it's not anything against the character or everything it's just why did old Groot never get that big and uh, also, like, I just find, like, it's not exactly my favorite look. But besides that, I do love uh, the call-outs that the Guardians continue, and we might never see them again, but their story goes on. I I think I've said this in other of our spoiler talks or retrospectives, but it's like, 
when I talked about how the MCU, it's like we get they could have ended it with a no with a Far From Home, and like the MCU continues, but we don't see the characters and everything, and every it's like AMCU ends for us, and the characters continue on with their lives outside the uh, camera's view. But I do love this ending; it's really really great. The other one where it's like Star Lord just talking with his grandpa and everything and they're just having a normal ass conversation and eating cereal and it's like Star Lord will return. It's like I was like, "Oh, that's surprising." I kind of don't know how I feel about it though cuz I like Peter's ending. I like him just retiring to be with his grandpa. So, just a heads up, I did not get to see either of these first credit scenes because I had to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I can't wait around another 10 minutes here to see two post-credit scenes that I assume one of them wouldn't have been important. Because that's what Marvel really likes to do these days. And guess what? I was right. <laughs> one really is not that important, and it's the Star-Lord one. Based on everything I've seen, yeah, it seems like a pretty cool new beginning. If we see another Guardians movie, cool, because it's going to be a whole new thing with Rocket as the lead. Awesome. Good for that. Star-Lord seems to be doing his own thing. That also sounds cool. If we never see another Guardians movie, also really happy. I'm fine with whatever they do. They did a really good job, man. Yeah, I kind of don't want to see another Guardians movie purely for the fact that I'm in this sort of fatigue with the MCU. Like, they should have ended with Endgame, or they should have just finished off the the other characters' stories and everything. And allowed the MCU to come to a close. Because I think everyone's feeling like that fatigue with Marvel. Where it's like, oh, we're getting these other characters. You're crapping on some of the old ones. Well, a lot of the old ones, if we're being honest. And some of the favorites, too. And it's just... I feel like we don't... I feel like we don't need to continue the MCU. Yes, it makes a lot of money. You guys could have restarted and just focused on... One with the Fantastic Four, X-Men, and done stories like that. Do a true Phoenix saga, for crying out loud. But the MCU could have ended. And we could have moved forward with new characters and a new passing of the torch. But nope. Guardians is like... Guardians and I think No Way Home are are the only things that I feel like I am glad that the MCU didn't end for. And even th- and even then, I would still like trade in at least Spider Man because Guardians is like so close to my heart. I would trade Spider Man for um just the e- just the end and moving on to the X Men and Fantastic Four and not having it in the same universe. Before we wrap up, though, I do have one moment from the ending that we didn't talk about. Groot actually speaking, saying, "I love you guys." So much. I love now, it and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I love the intent of what it was. I assume what James Gunn was going for was like Gamora at the end of the movie. She can't understand Groot the entire time. Then at the end, she finally, like, not even knowing it for a moment, starts talking to Groot and then understanding. And then she just. It's not like this big, like, oh, I can understand you now. She just has this look, like, oh. I get it. Like, the closer I get to you, the more I can actually understand what you're saying. And that's what I think they were going for with this, is the audience is now close enough to Groot to where we can understand. Love that. My one problem (laughs) is if we get another Guardians movie, 
do we hear Groot now? Nope. <laughs> because I don't feel like we're going to become less in tune with Groot <laughs> after this. Yeah. Oh, uh, fun fact, by the way, Groot originally could did not speak in I Am Groot's in the comics. I don't know if it was the Guardians movie that changed that or just something to shake up his character and give him something unique. But Groot used to speak in complete sentences and then changed to I Am Groot later. What are your thoughts on this moment, though? That is pretty cool, though. I love it and hate it for the simple fact of I did not initially catch that it could have been the audience is able to understand him now and everything. And I thought it was the uh, more of a retread of the We Are Groot situation. And that was literally one word change and literally his dying words. So I was like, okay, I can understand that. But uh, to change it to I love you guys and it's like so jarring. I feel like it's a, I feel like technically it's more powerful just keeping it I am grouped. Because you could understand it then. I do have to give credit to Vin Diesel though because that line, that's a lot of pressure on one line. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he did a good job delivering that line. But just like you said, it's just it's a jarring thing that it doesn't take you out of the movie. It doesn't like drop it for me at all. Yeah, it doesn't take it's you just, out of the moment at all. It's just something that's sitting there that when you're leaving the theater, you're like, I don't know if I like that or not. Yeah. <laughs> it again, it's not something that's going to when we're talking about our final thoughts. It's not going to be a nitpick, really. It's not going to be something that you're like, I loved it. It's just sitting there, and I don't know where they're going to go with it. I don't think they're going to go anywhere with it. I think you're just going to forget that ever happened. But yeah. Because I Am Groot is too iconic. But we all know that if Groot really spoke, you would know he would have said it's all about family. You kept that one in the chamber. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) But... Talking about our favorite and least favorite moments, though, what you got for me, Drew? Okay, so, hallway fight. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Like, I can't, like, uh, Rocket's revival, like, all of it, from him being in the astral plane, or the in-between, or just between life and death, whatever you want to call it. There's ten afterlifes that are canonical to the MCU. Which is really cool, by the way, but at the same time, I mean, pick whichever one you want here. Hey, that's how it was in Marvel for a bit, because originally it was only supposed to be the Asgardian afterlife existed. And then it's like, oh no, we have tons of afterlives, take your pick. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, so, Rocket's revival scene, the um, the ending dance, I'm trying not to say the entire movie, the first fight with Adam Warlock. That was scary in a good way. Loved it. And I'm gonna do one more. Oh, this is hard to pick. Uh you know what? I'm just gonna say Rocket Rocket saving the other raccoons and seeing his name. You got any least favorite? No. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so to sound like a Marvel shill or at least a Guardian shill, my favorite moment, the entire movie. I'm saying it. This movie's a banger. I I legitimately think like <laughs> this might be not only my favorite franchise of all time, but this might be my favorite MCU movie. I don't. I still don't know. Like these three Guardians movies can change on a dime. 
That's how good I think they are. Yeah. I feel like 2 and 3 will always be in higher regard for me. But Guardians 1 is like... It, it will always be perpetually tied with the other two for me. It's just... There's no other way to say it. It's like they're all great. It's all amazing uh, storytelling. The reason I also say that is in some cases... A sequel will ruin earlier movies. For example, and Drew knows where I'm going with this. Some listeners might know where I'm going with this, but Love and Thunder actively makes Ragnarok worse. Whether you loved Ragnarok or you hated it, you might come out of watching Love and Thunder and go, I actually dislike Ragnarok more now. <laughs> and with Guardian's case, every movie makes the other one better. There is no Return of the Jedi here, is what I'm saying. <laughs> this is a Star Wars original trilogy without Return of the Jedi. Instead, it's just A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and a unique third. And another, em- no, I was going to say another Empire, and another New Hope, basically, <laughs> with a very uplifting and emotional ending. <laughs> so, I mean, this is just a great franchise. I don't really have anything really bad to say about this movie other than maybe I felt like if they gave this is a long movie already so I know me going hey add airtime to it it's asking a lot but <laughs> maybe <laughs> give Adam Warlock one more scene if you give him one more scene for this redemption story I would have been 100% on board and I would have defended him a lot more because I do like the potential. Will Poulter, we don't give credit to him enough for not only as an actor, but I think also in this spoiler talk specifically, we have talked about everybody else. Karen Gillan, Chris Pratt, Bradley Cooper, Zoe Zodana, Dave Bautista. We've talked about everybody else. Will Poulter hasn't really gotten any love. I think he did a really good job. He was yeah, he- somebody who, when he was cast, people were like, really, him? <laughs> we wanted Matthew McConaughey or somebody like that. Okay, I I don't know what people were thinking with Matthew People were going for a Adam really good-looking dude as Adam Warlock. And you know what? Will Poulter might not be, <laughs> you know, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> but Will Poulter's awesome. Look for, look, for Adam Warlock, I thought he was going to be mostly CG anyway. Because he's supposed to literally look perfect, like, aesthetic. Like, aesthetically, he has a symmetrical face and all that. I did not think they were. Go- I did not think like they were gonna fully uh, go with a human actor for this. But you know what? I'm glad they did. And Will Poulter does a good job with what he is given. And to James Gunn's credit, and to Will Poulter's credit, and everybody involved, it's not like they had the best stuff to work with because a lot of Adam Warlock stuff has to do with the Soul Stone and Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. They're already past that by and they introduce them. So you're having to do a lot of new stuff with the character, you know? Yeah. So I, I get it. Yeah, it's like I it's like you get you get it and everything. It's like it's not like he's gonna have his Infinity Watch with Gamora and Drax and everything. That's gone. That time's over. It's like he, Adam has to be wholly new. And many people think that he's going to take like the original Captain Marvel's place and everything. Don't think they can do that considering his Kree heritage was a huge part of that. But who knows? We're going to, I feel like Adam has potential. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, man, the great movie all around. This is I don't know if I'd classify it as a ten out of ten, but man, this this is what the MCU needed. It really is. I know that's the cliche thing people have been saying, but it really is what the MCU needed. It is what I think DC fans who are hesitant about James Gunn. This is the movie to be like, hey, watch this and then let me know what you think. This is probably the best representation of what James Gunn can do. And I'm very excited for Superman Legacy after this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's get out of here, though, man. What you're working on and where can people find you? Uh, Currently, I'm not working on anything because Momocon is coming up and I'm going to be traveling to go to Momocon. So at the time of this recording, uh, nothing. (laughs) But you can find me on the the socials at Drew Garrison underscore. As for me, I am working on just these podcasts here. Drew, you and I are working on a Clash of the Stash episode that is focused on CW's The Flash Season 3. Props to CW's The Flash, by the way. It had its first great episode in like four years. Really? Uh, yeah, I ended up watching, I haven't watched the show since, like, season, the end of season six. Watched the return of Oliver Queen and the episode after, and it was, those two were really good, and then the last one I saw, I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> At least it's in it. <laughs> so hopefully it ends on a high note. It, I don't know if it's gonna end as high as Arrow did, but hopefully it ends on a high note, but we have a pretty cool topic here. Of rewriting the Flash season three. It's a two parter. First one's gonna be us doing Flashpoint and the crossover. Second part's gonna be the rest of the season. So I'm very excited for that. I have to shorten mine, <laughs> Drew, because if you listened to our How Would You Introduce Deadpool, X Men, or the Fantastic Four into the MCU episode a few months back, I was pretty detailed. It's just the way I kinda like to pitch things. So I'm gonna try to shorten it though. Make it a little bit easier. And uh yeah, it should be a great time though. Either way. Anything else to plug here before we get out of here? Nope. I'm good. Alright. Let's go ahead and get out of here, man. Uh wanna thank Drew for joining me. I wanna thank anyone for listening in. Let's thank Tristan, even though he didn't join. Oh yeah. Well he did, you know, he wanted to be here. He the high evolutionary stopped that. But he got his thoughts out i guess on it i wish he'd give us a few more notes i wanted to get an actual paragraph out of him because i felt bad <laughs> about him not being <laughs> on the show but i want to thank drew for joining me i want to thank tristan for sh- sending in what he sent in i want to thank anyone for listening in you can join our discord the link for which is in the description to talk about your thoughts on guardians 3 all the stuff going on at dc right now there's a lot of casting rumors going around about superman and lex Luthor, and they're interesting i'll tell you that um also consider leaving us a rating it would be tremendous if it was a positive rating we also have a patreon if you wish to support us if you do want to do that we greatly appreciate you next week though on nerds talk movies we are doing something a little different We'll be sharing our thoughts on the movie and television landscape for the remainder of 2023. We'll be talking about what we're hyped for, what we're kind of concerned about, fan theories, and more. Should be a fun time, and I'm assuming we're going to be talking a lot about Across the Spider-Verse and The Flash. 
We'll see you next week.